This morning, we are going to return to our series on radical generosity here at Christ Church. And as we do so, I want you to pay special attention to how this topic is addressed at Christ Church. Following the teaching of Jesus Christ and his apostles, we do not primarily, this is important, we do not primarily address money and giving from a practical or a needs-based framework, but from the framework of the character of God and God's work of sanctification in our lives. This is so important because almost all of us, whenever we have heard this talk, have heard it taught as a needs-based, maybe even a little guilt-laced means of getting us to open our pocketbooks. But that's not how we address this at Christ Church. Because God, while giving does, have a, giving does have a practical application, but here it is. It begins as a part of the spiritual life and the pursuit of holiness. It begins as a part of the spiritual life and the pursuit of holiness. So in the passage from 2 Corinthians this morning, Paul does weave together those two themes of, of God renewing our hearts and minds, making us more like him through the practice of giving, spiritual discipline, but also the practical needs of the church. And he does weave that together. It's a spiritual discipline. It's about conforming the giver to be more like Christ. But also St. Paul is addressing the practical aspect of giving to meet the needs of the Jerusalem church, which was experiencing great hardship. So here's what I want you to know. Giving has more to do with prayer and fasting than it does with budgets and buildings. Giving has more to do with prayer and fasting than it does with budgets and buildings. In other words, first and foremost, it is a spiritual discipline. And as such, I have no problem addressing it from the pulpit any more than I would in addressing the, pro the, the spiritual disciplines of prayer or Bible study or fasting. We cannot talk about following Jesus without talking about giving, so I make no apologies. If you're not hearing preaching and teaching about giving, then you are not getting the full gospel of Jesus Christ. So one of the reasons there is often a knee-jerk reaction to talk about money coming from the pulpit is exactly what we heard in uh, the Gospel of St. Matthew. Jesus says you cannot serve both God and money. In other words, God is going to be the one you worship or money is going to be the one you worship. And when money becomes our idols, our idol, we get really testy when somebody pokes it. That's the knee-jerk reaction. Now, of course, yes, there have been abuses, obviously, in the church. But that has not, certainly has not been the case here at Christ Church. So we want to talk about this from a spiritual discipline framework. So let's get the theological groundwork set, okay? I want you to know, this is, we're going to build a theological argument here. I want you to know something truly encouraging and uplifting this morning. Truly encouraging and uplifting uh, and this morning. Are you ready? Are you ready for this? Are you ready for the meaning of grace? Okay, here it is. This is the meaning of grace. Christ Church, you are totally unnecessary. You are totally unnecessary. I am totally unnecessary. The entire cosmos is totally unnecessary. None of us, none of all of this needed to exist. And do you know why that's good news? Why that is encouraging and uplifting? It's not because it's K-love. Encouraging and uplifting K-love. No. 
Now, since the universe is unnecessary, listen, since the universe is unnecessary, that means that everything is sheer gift. It's sheer gift. Everything, every one of us is an expression of God's superabundant gift-giving love. We exist not out of necessity, but out of love. Everything that exists comes from our gift giving God. We hear that in James chapter 1. James, thank you for this little letter. It's one of my favorites in the New Testament. We need to talk about that grace and works a little bit, but other than that, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures and not only is our creation not only is our creation pure gift so is our redemption you know this passage you should know this passage very well john 3:16 for god so loved the world that he gave yes I, amen that's terrific yeah praise god that he gave his only son. That, man, that, that's so great. <laughs> Praise God for Christ, church. Well done. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his, world, son, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And if, it is in, if, and if our salvation in Jesus Christ is pure gift, we also see God's character in that salvation. God is a gift-giving, radically generous, and lavishly sacrificial God. We see God's character in the gift of our salvation through Jesus Christ. He is radically generous and lavishly sacrificial. Now, here's the truth that tells us something about who we are to be. So that's who God is. Who we are to be at the core of our beings is also reflected here. If we are created in the image of God, we are by definition created to be givers like God. God so loved the world that he gave. If we're in his image, we are created to be givers. If we are not givers, then we are not fulfilling the very purpose of our creation. But more than that, when we are born again by accepting Jesus Christ, by water and the Spirit, we are made God's children. We are made God's children. And if we are God's children, then we are to share in his attributes. There should be a family resemblance. Attributes of being lavish, sacrificial, radically generous givers. So listen, brothers and sisters, if joyful, love-motivated, radical generosity, if that kind of giving is not a part of life, we are missing a fundamental part of being a human being in general and a disciple of Jesus in particular. At Christ Church, this is one of our core values, and we call it radical generosity. And in order for us to live out lives of radical generosity... We need to embrace that giving, first and foremost, 
is about where our heart is, all right? Listen to this. This is Matthew 6, 19 through 21. We heard it this morning. We're going to read it again. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And here it is. This is what Jesus says. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where is your treasure? So I want us to turn first here to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. It's the chapter right before what we heard read this morning. So if you're using your pew Bible, it's page 967. Page 967. This is chapter 8, precedes what we heard this morning. And in that chapter, Paul tells the Corinthian church about another church in a place called Macedonia that is a radically generous body of believers. These Macedonians are the last people you would think of as being generous. They were a persecuted church enduring severe affliction. And most likely as a result of that persecution, they were also extremely poor. But listen to what Paul says about that church. 2 Corinthians 8, beginning at verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given, the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Now, the first thing that I hear in that passage, and this is very, very important for all of us, the first thing that I hear here is that giving is not the luxury of the rich, it is the privilege of the poor. Giving is not the luxury of the rich, it is the privilege of the poor. Years and years ago, when I was in Armenia and helping to re-evangelize with the indigenous church there, the Armenian Apostolic Church, we were re-evangelizing Armenia following the collapse of the former Soviet Union. I was struck with how those, those people who were so extremely poor were so joyful in giving and how they begged us for the privilege to give. I, you may have heard me talk about a little wall plaque. You can see it in my house, in my kitchen to this day. It's a, it's a base relief or a ball relief. Is that, it, my, my daughter is an arts major, so uh, she, she corrects me on those things. But it's a, a little plaque with a, a figure from Armenia folk, Armenian folklore called Akhtamar. And it was given to me by a woman who literally had nothing, hardly, well, no, I could not see anything in her house except a chair and a table and that one wall plaque. And we came to speak to her and to engage with her. And she took the only thing she could just give away which was that wall plaque, and, and forced me to take it. And it reminds me of that, that gift-giving joy from those who had the least. Over and over, the poorest people served us the best food with obvious delight because the giving truly made them joyful. 
It's just like what Paul said about the Macedonians, for in, severe, in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So where does that joy come from? I mean, how does a woman who has nothing really in her home experience joy in giving away the one decorative item she had left? Well, it comes from living out the fact, it comes from living out the fact that you and I were created to be givers. When we live out our created purpose, when we live out the truth that that we are God's children, the result is when we live in accordance with our purpose, the result is joy. We live according to our created purpose. The result is an overabundance of joy. We are most like God when we are giving in love. We are most like God when we are giving in love. Now, the Macedonian church begged Paul for the favor. Listen to that. They begged us for the favor of giving. When God's grace has truly been received, it makes us generous people. Grace of God that has been given, Paul says, genuine conversion reorients our resources and finances towards God's kingdom. Genuinely being converted will be revealed in that, it, that our resources and finances will be redirected to God's kingdom purposes. Now, when we live as givers, God is faithful to pour out on us a series of blessings. I almost said there are fringe benefits. No, they're not fringe benefits. These are the assured blessings of God when we live as generous givers. We can count on them. And the first thing that we can count on when we live as lavish, sacrificial, loving givers is that you and I will experience the pleasure of God. We will feel God's pleasure. We will feel God's pleasure. Mark is an attorney in Kentucky who now gives away half of his income each year. He said, my pursuit of money drove me away from God, but since I've been giving it to him, everything's changed. In fact, it has, giving has brought me closer to God than anything else because it is a spiritual discipline. God made you and I for a purpose. He created us to be givers, and when we give, we feel his pleasure. Giving, someone has written, jumpstarts our relationship with God. It opens our fists so we can receive the blessing that God has for us. The second thing that is an assured blessing, a faithful blessing, is this. God supernaturally and superabundantly will meet your needs. As if you are a lavish giver, a, uh, in, the, in the image of the God who gave himself for you in Jesus Christ, when you give like that, God supernaturally and superabundantly meets our needs. Um, our bishop, when he was here a couple of weeks ago, said that there are three areas of life in which we are most likely to encounter the supernatural frequently as followers of Jesus. Okay, here, here. the bishop said it, so it's true. Here they are. He's right, actually. Number one, we experience it in physical healing. We see the supernatural in physical healing. It happens, it happens in this church. It's part of the ministry of this church. The second place we see God supernaturally acting in our lives as believers is in the healing of relationships, the healing of relationships. 
And then the third place where God shows himself uh, to be supernaturally present to us is in our finances. And so we hear this. You can't outgive God. It's in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. God blesses us like this, not so that we can spend more on ourselves, but so that we can give more to his kingdom purposes. He blesses us financially, supernaturally, not to raise our standard of living, but to raise our standard of giving. Not to raise our standard of living, but to raise our standard of giving. Now, if you have been at Christ Church long enough, you're going to hear illustrations repeated. Um, yes, my children say I have a horrible disease called repetitus A, and, uh, and I, I'm, I'm owning that. But you maybe have heard me speak about R.G. Letourneau, who was a Texan by choice and an inventor and uh, manufacturer of earth-moving equipment, uh, really uh, took off in the 60s and 70s. And uh, at, finally, at the end of his life, he was giving away 90% of his income to kingdom work. At the end of his life, this man was giving away 90% of his income to kingdom work. And he said, uh, uh, he says, I shoveled the money out, and God kept shoveling it back in, and God had a bigger shovel. God has a bigger shovel. And then another blessing that is faithful is that God, uh, uh, is that it gives us, it comes from, Giving like this comes from and it gives and reinforces an eternal perspective, an eternal perspective. We are going to spend eternity somewhere, either in the new heavens or the new, and the new earth of God's kingdom or eternally separated from God. But most of us live, please hear me, and I want you to, Christian, if you're, <laughs> I want you to, to examine your heart. Are you living like a practical atheist when it comes to your money and finances? We think of money and possessions as if there really is no final judgment, no God, no way to store up treasures in the kingdom. But when we realize that eternity is our home, it changes the way we treat our possessions now. We, when we live radically generous lives, the world without God sees it as squandering our life. But the only reason that the world doesn't have, uh, that sees it that way is because the world doesn't have any, an eternal perspective. What's really going on when we give lavishly is that we are investing in our eternity. Now, with all that in mind and, and kind of bringing us to a conclusion here, why do so many of us not demonstrate this kind of radical generosity? American Christians give proportionately less today than they did during the Great Depression. Well, here are some of the reasons that we don't give. Number one, Jesus Christ has not changed my life. That would be the main reason we don't give. I've not been converted. Number two, we think of God as a taking God and not as a giving God. Listen again to the passage that we read this morning from 2 Corinthians 9. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Here's what John Piper says of this passage. Okay, now I've got John Piper street cred. 
a little bit now. You're going to get that a little bit. Sometimes you get quotes from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Then you get a little John Piper, and you get a little C.S. Lewis. We're really, really eclectic here. But this is what John Piper says about this passage. He says, beneath, beneath the bountiful giving of verse 6 and the cheerful giving of verse 7 is a heart that looks up to God and sees a giver, a supplier, a helper. When this person looks to God, he feels replenished, not drained. Just like the literal translation of verse 6 implies, his giving is based on blessing, God's blessing. Even when this person hears a command coming from God, he hears it as a hopeful gift, not a depleting demand. Like when a three-year-old starts toddling toward the street and his mother shouts from the kitchen window, Barnabas, stop! The bountiful, cheerful givers have grown up enough in their relationship with God, I love this, to know that his shouts are all love. His shouts are all love. We don't give because we think that if we do, we will not have enough. We think that because, we think that because A, we don't really believe all this God stuff anyway, or B, we don't believe that God delights to give and to provide for us. We see him as a taker and not a giver. And then finally, one of the reasons, perhaps the main reason Christians are not givers is that we're walking in the flesh. We're carnal. We're not walking in the spirit. And when I walk in the flesh, I am the Lord of my life and not walking obediently to the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is the Lord of my life, I will reflect God's character of giving. So this morning, there is nothing for you to sign. I'm not, we're, this is not about pledging. It's about giving. But I do want to give you some training wheels for giving this morning, okay? So please listen, church. You know, training wheels give us the confidence to start riding a bike, but the goal of training wheels is to leave them behind. The training wheels, the most basic step in giving is to give the tithe to the storehouse, to the church, 10% of our income. Why do we even talk about that? Because it's what the Bible says. And if it's offensive to you, you're offended by God's word, not the preacher. Now, some object that the tithe is an Old Testament concept, but I like what Randy Alcorn said. He said, it seems fair to ask, God, do you really expect less of me who has your Holy Spirit within and lives in the wealthiest society in human history than you demanded of the poorest Israelite? Do you really expect less of me who has your Holy Spirit and lives within the wealthiest society in human, uh, human history than you demanded of the poorest Israelite? I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that Lisa and I started tithing when we were literally in poverty. The tithe is not a stopping place in giving. It is a starting point. So we started with the tithe, and before we pay anything else, and we give that tithe to the storehouse, Tear to Christ Church, and then we give to other ministries beyond that 10%, and it is a joy to do so. Now, yes, humanly speaking, there is never a good time to start tithing because that's what most of us are thinking right now. It is not a good time for me to do this. No, it's kind of like having kids. There's never really a convenient time to do it. You just got to get her done. And you're glad you did. Some, mostly, mostly, mostly. 
There never in the flesh is a good time to start tithing. But tithing is not a money matter. It is a trust matter. When I withhold from God my tithe, what I really withhold from him is not money. It is my heart. It is trust. And the central act of worship in the church, which we do every Sunday, the Holy Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, is the weekly re-proclamation of God's self-giving love. This is my body, which is given for you, and my blood, which is shed for you. May the grace of God in the ministry of the table of the Lord give us the courage and grace to be infused with this kind of lavish, sacrificial, gift-giving love, and may it start today. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.